if you were here uh, last Sunday, um, Pastor Marianne opened up with uh, the first part of our series titled Beautiful Christmas. And uh, today we, we move on to part two of this series. But um, before we do that, can we pray? Is that cool if we pray? Yeah. All right, cool. Lord, we thank you once again for your presence, for your love, for your mercy. And um, just the simple fact that we're here today tells us that you're not done with us, uh, that you're still working in each and every one of us, uh, all of us in different stages of our lives, things that uh, we're working on and things that we're dealing with. But today, Lord, we are silencing uh, all the voices that we have in our heads. And it could be many of them, things that we're, you know, we're struggling with, things that are tormenting our minds, Lord, and we just want to concentrate in this room and what you have for us. I pray that today's word is something that challenges us, but more than anything, is something that encourages us to understand that you are Emmanuel. God is with us. So uh, thank you, and thank you for everyone that's here today, Lord. We pray, Father, for many blessings upon their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And like, uh, I said, Pastor Marianne opened last Sunday with, with a message, um, and she was talking about that we can still trust Jesus even when our plans fall apart. And I don't know, it's it's not a lot of us today, so we can have we can we can have this as a conversation more than a message. Is that cool? All right, is that cool? Um, and I don't know how many of us in this room can attest to that, that plans will fall apart. <laughs> Is there anyone in this room that sad plans and the plans haven't gone the way you thought they would go? And what is, what is kind of our first reaction when plans don't go the way they should? Frustration, what else? Anger, that's a good one. Anyone else? What happens, like, what do you feel when your plans don't go the way you thought they would go? Worry, you said? Worried? Disappointment? Personally, I feel that when that happens, I feel that God got it wrong. It has nothing to do with me being a pastor. I'm just, just, just a human like you are. I feel like God didn't add things correctly, and I feel that he should be attached to my timeline. Right? Y'all smiling because I, I'm talking to some of you, right? You were just weren't bold enough to say it. I thought you were going to get in trouble. But that's the truth. We, we get mad at God. Does anyone get mad at God? Don't leave me alone. Get upset at God. Like, all right, God, you say this in your word, but I'm not seeing it. Right? Or you gave this word over my life, but I'm not seeing it. And we tend to forget that God is not bound by our timeline and the bible says scripture says that he is the alpha and the omega so he can't be bound by something he created and that i don't know about you but that that sucks because there is a timeline there's a space between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise i like to call it in the middle and in order for us to finish and finish well, 
we need to have what I call in the middle faith. Let me explain. When you start a project, like for those that have, like are signed up to a gym, not me, but, um, and you know, anyone, you go and you sign up. Some of y'all go to Ross or Marshalls and get like the complete outfit. Like you, you got to make sure you have the headband. You got to make sure like the sneakers, like these are not the correct. You have 18 pairs of sneakers in your closet, but no, these are not my working out because I need for, uh, what is it? El Puente? For your bridge and the, you know, and, and we get all excited. We sign up, we pay the membership. But after we go two times, not me, because I don't go to the gym. After y'all go two times, it's like, I don't want to wake up. I don't want to, because it takes faith in the middle in order to finish well. And I, I always, I, I've said this many times, and, and I think that this is something that we should all learn in, is that you don't need a lot of faith to start. You need to, a lot of faith to finish. And I'm, I'm not impressed by someone that has faith to start a business. I'm impressed by someone that can stick through it even in difficult times. And when I think about Christmas and when I think about how, you know, this beautiful Christmas and and we're talking about, you know, how beautiful Christmas is and the story and we look at the nativity scene and, you know, baby Jesus and we forget that there was also pain involved in the initial story of Christmas. And I think that many of us in this room can attest today that we're sitting here looking all beautiful like you guys are, but the path that's brought you here today to this day has also had some days of pain mixed with all the beauty. And um, I think that we don't learn to appreciate the goodness of God until we are faced with those difficult times. And I think that, like scripture says, I, I think that the test comes for the testimony. And I think that without a test, you can't have a testimony. And it's hard because we want to skip that part of the story and just get to the finish line, right? It would be so much better, right? If we didn't have to go through the testing part, but that's where true breakthrough comes in when you can not only read about God being good, but you can attest to God being good. You can read about God being a healer, but it's different when you have a testimony about God being a healer. Amen? It's, it's different when you can read about God being a provider than when you live out and you can say, hey, you know what? You can't come and talk to me or tell me anything different. I know that God is a provider. And I just want to go through some verses today about, you know, the beautiful story of Christmas, but I want to speak on Christmas or the story of Christmas from an angle that it's very possible that you haven't heard it this way. And this is something that's always bugged me that everybody says, Merry Christmas and beautiful Christmas. But even in the initial Christmas, it wasn't a Merry Christmas for everyone. It wasn't a beautiful Christmas. Christmas for everyone, and we'll get into that. And let's go to the book of Luke. Everyone say Luke. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. I like reading Luke because Luke was a doctor, so um, he uses all these um, all these big words, and he overstates things like doctors do. 
and um, you know his his writing is different than than Matthew. It's really different. John is a little bit more personal because John was really you know cool with Jesus, but Luke gets into all the glory and the splendor and the greatness of God, and he talks about it in that way, the Messiah and all that. And um, let's get to it. Ten and eleven. It says, but the angel reassured them, reassured them. In other words, I need to give you confidence. I need to give you confirmation in this. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And very key, at the end of this verse, it says the city of David. And yes, it's the David that you're thinking about, King David. So Jesus comes uh, about 28 generations after David. So he's part of David's lineage. And uh, there's a promise that God gives Bethlehem. And we can see it in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. And it says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the what? Who will be the what? Shepherd for my people Israel. So Jesus comes to be not only our savior, but to be our, to be our shepherd. And in this language, in this context, it's, it's pretty awesome that David, who was a shepherd and la later a king, comes from the same place as Jesus, who is our shepherd, but is also our king. And one thing that I will get into later on today is that this story of Christmas is a story of great beauty, but also a story of great pain. And there's nothing in the Bible that's written just, you know, by coincidence. Everything has a purpose. And for us that are here this morning, I believe that many of us do see Jesus as our Savior, but very few see Jesus as our pastor, as our shepherd. And there is nothing wrong with seeing Jesus as our Savior. I mean, that assures us eternity, right? And we all want to go to heaven, right? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. But when you personalize it and you say, Jesus is my shepherd, Jesus is my pastor, now we're talking about relationship and not religion. Does that make sense? Now we're talking about he is someone that's guiding me on a daily basis and not someone I will meet someday in eternity. That's why he said, call him and his name shall be Emmanuel, God is with us. There's a relationship aspect about Christianity that is different from many other religions. See, we don't serve a God that's in the seventh heaven and he's not concerned about us and he's up there in his kingdom and not worried about our everyday life. No, we serve a God that he's Emmanuel. God is with us. He, he is involved. In, he wants to be involved in your affairs. He, he wants to... Uh, know the things that are troubling you. He wants to know the things that are that are in your heart and he wants to, above all, he wants to be your shepherd. And uh, if you're taking notes, if you're not, please do. I want you to write this down. Next slide. Is that Jesus came on purpose and with a purpose. Jesus came on purpose. It was not a coincidence. But he also, he also came with a purpose. And that, that purpose is to be our shepherd, is to be our king. And, and you know why we need to be shepherd? 
because we make dumb decisions. You know why we need <laughs> some, some yells are trickling in slowly, right? And the reason we need a shepherd is because most of the time, we don't know what we're doing, right? This is the thing with humanity. We really believe we have it figured out. And the problem with, with believing we have it figured out is that life is going to throw you a curveball tomorrow and everything you thought you knew is going to go out the window. Especially if you're a planner. Especially if you're a person that likes control. See, Jesus is going to allow things to come into your life to realign you and to recalibrate you for you to understand that the dependence comes from him. See, this is what happens. You get locked in into a job, right? You start growing. You start getting promoted. Now you start growing some wings and you start believing, you know, I'm the, you know, whoa, man, I got, I got promoted. I got two more dollars, I, whatever. I got a now salary, a benefit package. And you really start believing it's, it's out of your own intelligence. It's out of your own grace. And what God does is the company closes down, right? Out of the blue company relocates company decides to shut down reduce personnel and now in spanish we say but now you got to come you know with your head low and i'm sorry jesus tell between your legs i'm sorry god you know my bad i thought i had it because we need to be shepherd see when we say god your will not my will we're giving him the keys of our lives and we're saying, whatever you want, Lord, the answer is yes. And let me tell you something, people in the back, people in the front, everyone, the most liberating thing that you can ever do in your life is say, God, I'm not gonna fight you. I'm gonna surrender to your will because this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna start doing things and they're gonna fail and you're gonna start getting frustrated. You're going to start doing things. No, I got to get my grind. I got to get, I got to get my, my business and I got to push. And I, things are going to start closing down. And then you're going to start blaming God. And God's like, don't blame me. You got it. You do you, boo-boo. Like, don't, don't try to involve me now in your doings. Why don't you just surrender? And I'm going to tell you the most liberating thing I've ever done in my life is giving him the keys of my life. and said, whatever you want. You know what? I, I told him, I ain't going to fight you, dog. Like, like, whatever you want, I'm not going to come against your will because what's going to happen is will is going to get frustrated. And um, he comes on purpose and with a purpose. And I'm pretty sure you can see this play out with the people that you work with, your family members. Everyone is in this constant state of a fake, a fictitious hustle that you're really not going anywhere, but in your mind, you're making it believe that you're making moves just because you posted something or you thought of something. No, you're not. You're not making any moves. You're stagnant. You're not growing. You're becoming more ignorant with time and time is passing and God is saying, I have a plan for greatness over your life. You just have to surrender. And I think that we need to be shepherd because we are dumb. Starting with me. And we really believe we have a world figured out more than the person that created the world that we live in. So we need a shepherd. And when it says, Emmanuel, God is with us, I love 
how, uh, how the book of Matthew wraps up and he says that I will be with you until the end of times. That's my promise to you. And there's three things, but before we get to that, um, if we don't understand or if we understand that God is Emmanuel, I have a question for you guys. This is my next slide. If God is with me, right? Will I always have joy and no sorrow? Right? If God is Emmanuel, and if God is with me, will I always have joy and no sorrow? See, if you believe that to be yes, you're about to hit the wall. Because we live in a fallen world where sin abides, where senseless acts of violence happens, like what happens to the what happened to the UPS driver right in front of my house, right in front of the street of my house. Things are going to happen. People are going to die. People are going to get sick. Relationships are going to get broken. We live in a fallen world. People ask me all the time, Pastor, if we're such a good God, why do this? If God loves us so much, simple. We sinned and we live in a fallen world. Sin abides in people. That would happen with the UPS driver. That's nothing but, but some demon-possessed demon-led human beings to go through that because we live in a fallen world so stuff is going to happen stuff is going to hit your door there was people that were driving on 75 got hit by a bullet and they're gone was there their own doing no we live in a fallen world the reality of life is that things are going to mess up plans are not going to go according to what we thought Sickness is going to hit our door. Loss of someone, loss of job. Our marriage is going to go through issues. Our kids are going to rebel against us, start acting up. Shiloh's about to turn 10 next year. And <laughs> we're about to hit that stage and we're going to fist fight. Inevitably, for sure, because of his mouth. It's what happens. And if you have been of the thinking or you've been preached a Christianity that tells you that everything is going to be just roses and see I came to tell you I'm sorry because what happens is that's not reality of Christianity the Bible says that Jesus told his disciples if you love me pick up your cross and follow me there is no Christianity without a cross so we are going to go through things we're going to struggle. Sometimes the breakthrough is not around the corner. Some things you're going to apply for that job and they're going to come some they're going to call someone else that's not even a Christian. Sometimes you're going to pray and pray and God is not going to do it. So the question is, if God is with me then, will I always have joy and no sorrow? One of my favorite psalms in the in, in the Bible is Psalms 23, and I'm going to get into that today. It's a psalm that if you've been around church at any point in your life, if you grew up in church, your parents made sure you learned this psalm like every morning. I'll be like, el Salmo 23 otra vez. Like there's 150 psalms. But this psalm is so powerful, and I want to get into it today. Psalms 23 verse 1. Still with me? And it says, the Lord is, the Lord is, 
my shepherd. And the beauty of this is that David makes it, David, King David writes the book of Psalms and he makes it so personal. He doesn't say the Lord is the shepherd or his shepherd or her shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. And reading a couple of authors and a couple of theologians, they all agree that David wrote this psalm towards the end of his life. What's crazy is that if you think, you say, well, Psalm 23 and there's 150 psalms, it should have been at the beginning. But no, psalms are not written, written in a chronological order. Um, and, and, and David writes this psalm at the end of his days. He started out as a shepherd, shepherd boy, shepherd little boy, you know, just nobody paying attention to him, just dealing with the sheep. Then he gets called, appointed, he gets anointed, then he gets appointed to be king. And he's at the end of his days and he's recalling how good God has been. And his analogy is the analogy of a shepherd. And he says, the Lord is, is mine, is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. And this concept of my shepherd is a concept of relationship and not religion. And I think that until we can make that connection, that Christianity is about a relationship between me and my shepherd, we'll just be walking in religion. And I think that for a lot of people, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you see them when they are accepting an award. I, I just want to thank God. It's like, it's a difference when someone gets up there, peep that next time. I want to thank God. And a lot of, some of, and some of them will say, I want to thank Jesus, my personal savior, right? They're my personal savior, Jesus Christ. There's a relationship. And and for us that are people that are striving to love the Lord, people that are striving to grow in relationship with him, we need to make this personal. As we say, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not only the shepherd, he's not only the savior, he is my, my shepherd. And there's three things that a good shepherd does, and I'll go through them really quickly. And number one is that he leads me into the joy which is my next slide, the joy of green, the green pastures. Verses two and three, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. The beauty of a shepherd is he knows where to take you according to the season of your life or what you are needing. So there are seasons that we're gonna need green pastures. There are seasons that he needs to take us into quiet waters. See, because we can't take ourselves there. Medication can't take you there. Self-therapy can't take you there. Only the, the good shepherd can take you there. So you gotta trust him to, to be your pastor and to take you into the green pastures. And I, and I see it play out more than ever now, and we've been talking about this extensively, where we are living in a society that more than ever, anxiety is, is at an all-time high. Depression is at an all-time high. People being unsatisfied with everything at an all-time high. People, like uh, Brenda says, scrolling and patrolling. 
looking at other people's highlight reel and believing that's their life and making you feel bad about your own life. I was telling the Spanish crowd this morning, is I, I'm turning 40 next year, right? Pray for me. There's a lot going on with that. You know, just the realization that I'm the big 4-0, right? And I'm, and there's seasons and there's stages, just being completely honest, that I look at my life and I, and I think about areas in which I should be further along. Does that happen to you? That you look to the side and be like, well, he's 40 and he has A, B, C, and I'm about to be 40 and I don't have. Does that happen to you? Either marriage, either they have kids, either they own their home, either they're on their career path. And you look at yourself and you start thinking, man, what about me? What happened? Where did, where did this go wrong? And that's why we need a shepherd. Because we get, you know, we're, we're, we're sheep. You know, we get entangled easily into things. And, and people are striving for approval. People are striving to be liked, to be validated. <laughs> I was telling someone, the only val I mean, this ain't a parking lot. I, I, I don't need any validation. I don't need to be validated by anybody. And I think that in this, in, this, in this conundrum, in this current context that we're living in, I think that if you speak to the people around you, the majority of people are just living a result of someone that doesn't have a pastor. And I'm not talking about a pastor of a church that doesn't have the pastor, which is Jesus. So people are going everywhere. People are seeking different things to get highs, to get, you know, uh, things satisfied in their soul. This lack of sexual identity that we're living in our current society is nothing more than people living without a pastor. So we need, we need a pastor that can take us to, to the green pastures and can say, hey, Will, you know, you know what, chill. Then he says, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. If he leaves it up to us, we're going to take the wrong path. Verse 4. And even though, and I know this is a famous verse. It's been in some rap lyrics as well. <laughs> and even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they would comfort me. And like I said, there's a part of the Christmas story that we don't speak about. So the wise men, they get the revelation that the Messiah is going to be born. Y'all know the story, right? So they are guided by the star. And on their way there, King Herod says, hey, he gets, he gets light of this. And he says, hey, you know what? When you get there, can you text me the address? I want to go and worship him as well, right? But we all know that his intentions were not to go and worship him, but to kill him because now his kingdom was, was threatened. It was in the danger zone, right? So the, the wise men, they receive a revelation from God, and they're like, we can't go the same way we came because we're going to be intercepted by King Herod, so we're going to go another route. So King Herod gets light of this, and he's like, okay, they think they're smart. He made an order to kill, in, in the town of Bethlehem, to kill all the males under the age of two. 
That's why Mary and Joseph had to flee, right? So all those kids were put to death. Merry Christmas. Wasn't Merry Christmas for everyone? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Was it a beautiful Christmas for everyone? I don't think so. It was a Merry Christmas for Mary and Joseph, but there were a lot of families that Christmas represent, represented a funeral. And I think that for some of us in this room and even for the people that we come in contact with, it's not a Merry Christmas. It's not a beautiful Christmas because there's, a, there's someone missing at the table. There's a seat that's emptying at the table. There's a promise in the year that you were waiting for and here we are at the end of the year and it hasn't happened. So is it a Merry Christmas? Is it really a Merry Christmas? And I think that when we have a pastor that leads us through the darkest valley, the reason he leads us through the darkest valley is because when you're at the mountaintop, you don't really need to do much. Everyone wants to show up when you're in the mountaintop. Will people show up when you're in the darkest valley? When you're, like I said this morning, when your phone is dry, when there's no calls coming in, when there's no texts, when all you can do is encourage yourself, when even those that used to be your encouragers are not even around, that you have to, you know, muster it up, you know, the, the courage to even encourage yourself. You need a pastor to walk you through the darkest valley. And if you've lived long enough, like you, know, you haven't lived until you're 40, that's what they said. If you lived enough, you will understand that life is made up of more valleys than mountaintops. Is that true? See, life is made up of more valley moments than mountaintop moments. And I think that if you're like me, you remember the valley moments more than what you remember the mountaintops moment. We're just wired that way. We have selective memory for certain things. And it says that I will fear no evil. And I love the part that it says I will walk through. In other words, the darkest valley is not a destination, just a season. I, as I walk through. In other words, as I go through this season in which it's gonna suck, pain is gonna come, disappointment, betrayal, that's all, that's all, I mean, that's all in there. I will fear no evil for you. And I love, the, I love it because he's making it so personal. He went from the to you. In other words, it's like, now I'm, I'm talking to my shepherd, so I'm talking on a you basis. For you are with me. That's why it's a relationship, not a religion. For you are with me. And it says your rod and your staff will comfort me. And I believe that in this current church context, the church of Christ, you know, around the world, I believe that we are experiencing some difficulties because many people don't know how to survive what I call my next slide 
the seasons of Job. Not job seasons, like work, but Job seasons. We are living in times in which believers don't know how to survive a test. Right? People don't know how to go through struggles. People don't want to hear a message about struggles. The Bible talks about that in these last times, people will have an itch to hear, but an itch to hear things that are good for their ears. And I think that in order for you to make it and make it well, you need to develop the ability to survive some Job seasons. And if you're not familiar with Job, Job is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And I love Job because I admire him because I don't know if I could do what he did. So he has an extra level of admiration in my book. The Lord took everything away from Job. And in, in one of the chapters, he told the Lord, Lord, even if you kill me, I will still worship you. And I think that we live in times in which people don't really want to go through things. People don't want to stay in their marriage when it gets tough. People don't want to go through stuff in there. People want an out right away when it gets difficult. People don't want to raise up their kids and go through the rebellion stage and go through the you're going to wake up and you're going to praise the Lord stage. People don't want to stay at a job. Everyone, everybody's an entrepreneur. Everybody wants to launch. Everybody wants to open up. Everybody wants to hustle. Nobody wants to really grind. The real definition of grind is staying the course even if I don't like it. Even if it's not looking the way it should look. And I think in order for us to finish, and this is my prayer for each and every one of you, is that God develops a character in you that you are willing and that you are able to go through Job seasons and survive it. In other words, that maybe 2019 was a, a Job year. Maybe this year you look back and you're like, this year was horrible. But even if you took my life, I have a pastor friend in DR. His name is Miguel. And a few years ago, his wife and his children were coming uh, they were driving home from school and they got into a fatal accident. They all died. And it was like a Thursday and on Sunday morning, he preached one of the most amazing messages I've ever heard from the book of Job. And he was worshiping more than anyone in the audience. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And he got up and preached the message on hope on the hope of glory and how God is so good and how God is so great. And he gave me an analogy that I'm going to, because I asked, I had to ask him. I'm like, dude, lay your hands on me. Like, I want that anointing because I wouldn't, I don't know what I would do. And he said, Will, have you ever looked at your, you know, at your dashboard at, you know, in your car? He was like, I was like, yeah. How much do your, does your car say it could go? Like, 160, right? 140 miles per hour, right? Some cars. So, for those that have bands, 120, some 180. He said, "You, you, you see, right? That it could go." He said, "Have you been inside 
your car? Have you drove your car at that speed? I was like, no. He's like, it's different when you experience what you see. One thing is seeing it and one thing is living it. He said, even in this, I have seen the goodness of God. So I'm speaking from a different space because I've seen how good he is. He said, and even in this apparent tragedy, he still deserves my praise because he is still good. I said, man, you are a better man than me a hundred times. Can we say, God, even if you take my life, you still deserve my worship. I can't tell you that I'm there yet, but I'm striving for that, for sure. So my next slide is that he leads us in the sorrow of dark valleys because there will be, there will be sorrow. And my last point is that he will lead us into the joy of goodness and mercy. Verse 6, he closes out the psalm by saying this, and this is... This is, remember I told you that David wrote this at the end of his years? Here in verse 6, you can see a confirmation of this. This is what he says. Surely, goodness and love, in some versions it says goodness and mercy, will follow me all of the days of my life. He is talking from, some, from, from the standpoint of someone that has walked with God since he was a little boy and God was good in the field, him being a shepherd. God was good when he was an unknown, but known to him only. God was good when he was anointed. God was good in that 20 year period before he was, on, before he was appointed from his anointing. God was good with him being king. God was still good winning and losing battles. God was still good winning and losing children. And he gets to the end of his life and he says, I know surely that it doesn't matter where I go, goodness and mercy will follow me. In the Job season, goodness and mercy, goodness and love will follow me. In the valley, goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life. And this is my favorite part. And I will dwell. And I will dwell. In other words, I won't remove myself from. I will keep myself in. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, in good seasons, in bad seasons, I'm going to church. Either I'm in green pastures or I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And, and I want to close with this verse that the Lord gave me. As I, I already prepared the message, this was, a, this was another verse totally um, at the end of, of my preparation. I've been battling with the book of Genesis chapter both 7 and 8 right? And there is so much there. How many of us know the story of Noah? Right? You know what? The Lord says, I'm going to wipe out the earth, but I'm going to save you and your
your children, right? And, you know, get them in two by two, get them in pairs, and get all the different animals inside the boat. And I came across this verse in chapter 8, verse 1 of Genesis, that really messed me up. But I want you guys to take this verse as a prophetic declaration over your life today. If you believe that, say amen. And this is what it says. But God remembered Noah. I had to pause there. What does that mean? That he forgot him? Are y'all reading what I'm reading? Can we read that together? But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the flood waters began to What tripped me out was like, what do you mean God remembered Noah? I've always known all my life that God is always with me, and God is always... So I had to go back to the original translation of this, and the original translation states that God, when God remembers you, is that God is ready to bring forward the fulfillment of the promise he made you. When God remembers you, he's, he's not only thinking about you, he's going to do something for you. It, it moves him to act on your behalf because he remembered Noah, but he didn't stop there. The Bible said that he sent a, a wind to blow across the earth to receive the waters. In other words, remember that promise I gave you years ago, Noah, that I'm going to keep you and your family and you inside the boat are not really understanding the fulfillment of my promise? Today I remember you. And I blow this wind and I cause the waters to, to recede. And now you're able to step out of the boat and walk into the fulfillment of what I told you years ago when people were laughing at you. And I want us to read that first part of the verse, and I want us to change the name Noah for your name. And I believe that for some of us, it may not be for all of us, but I believe that for some of us, this is a prophetic declaration over our lives. I really believe that. And I want us to stand to our feet. Everyone in this room. And I want us all to read it out loud together. And remember, just switch out Noah's name for your name. And we're going to do that at the count of three. One, two, three. But God remembered. Let's do it again. But God remembered William. Again, but God, come on, say it again. But God, lift up your hands and say it again. But God remember you but he he acts upon it 
And I felt all through this week people in this room feeling that the Job season will never end. That the valley will never end. And that maybe 2019 for you was such a troubled year that you doubted even the presence of God in your life. You doubted his plans. You doubted if he had a purpose for you. You even thought that probably he forgot about you and your desires. The prophetic declaration over your life this afternoon is God remembers you. And when he remembers you, he not only thinks of you, but he acts according to what he promised you. back 